faith seems to be, for a lot of people, the art of finding what they already expect to find. I started to chip away at like creationism and climate change and um, just anti-science, anti-feminism, gender roles, racism. If you know you're trying to get beyond that, how much of you know the past models of understanding the world are even in any way helpful? You know, anti-LGBT, purity culture, like all, all like you know worship of patriotism and free market capitalism and, and war. For me, it's kind of like the, the soundtrack to this moment when you realize maybe help isn't coming. This is The Airing of Grief with Derek Webb. Conversations and correspondence about spiritual de- and reconstruction. Season 1, Episode 7 Easter Eggs Hello, this is... Hey, it's Derek. Thank you so much for setting this up and taking this time, first of all. Oh, I yeah, of course. Thank you. There must be some resonance between us. I'm curious to hear your story. Yeah, so it probably makes sense for me to give like a little context. Sure. Um, I work in the Christian music industry, actually. Okay. I've been professionally in that world for about three and a half years now, Um Prior to that, I came out of this religious upbringing where I was pretty much the the culture I was in was about as like fundamentalist mm. extremist as you could get. Um, so I kind of like already before I was in the Christian music industry had gone through a lot of deconstructing, which is a term mm. that you've used a lot to kind of describe this process. Yeah, to soundtracks. Um, but I think previously I'd kind of deconstructed like my expectations of church people, of Christian politics, of things like that, and Mm. much more now I'm deconstructing, like, God himself and how you relate to him. You know, I think those are two very different processes. Those are. One feels like it's focused on a group of people and an institution, and the other is focused on this external force in the universe. I mean, it's, yeah, they're very different in my opinion. The story goes Beautiful, mysterious things happen when we sleep, when our backs are turned. Exactly. Um, And I think it's much more personal when you're deconstructing, you know, God himself, because that's kind of like it shifts your your entire basis of reality. It Um, does. And for me, it's kind of like at the point where I'm at now, where I still intellectually would claim most like creedal statements, but I'm beginning to feel that emotionally there's functionally no difference uh, hmm. in like how you actually like experience the world um, just from you know, this kind of like process of observation and the things that you experience where you eventually reach this point uh, where it's like there, there are touchstones you can go back to in the past where something felt very real, but you begin to wonder how much was wish fulfillment. Because it's not the emotional reality now. Right. He sneaks around and hides the sweetest things for us without a sound. That's because he's a ghost. 
Yeah, I, I've. Yeah, I, I, I feel like the my experience of that, or the way I've, and you can tell me if this is resonant, is that like, I, I feel like I many times and have a lot of friends who many times will, will see, something occur and they will, rush over to somebody and they'll say like, look at this, or it'll be it'll be a, a moment in their story, that I would not presume to discount at all in terms of the way they feel about it. But the facts of the story will be like, this is evidence that God is there. This is evidence that there is a both good and powerful, intentional, external force in the universe that's doing all this. And here's the evidence because this happened. And then I had this conversation with this person and that person showed up and then they called me to tell me this and then that. And there, and look at that, like, look at this evidence. It's a, it's, it, it speaks to its design. It's, it speaks to a designer. There's intention. Look how, look at the meaning. Look at um, the way it's been orchestrated. It's what they say. Never let the facts get in the way. You're ruining the best part of the myth. And, and I used to not think twice about that and think like, wow, yeah, that you're right. That it does, it proves it, right? It, it proves it. And, and what I'm not, what I wouldn't say today is that it doesn't prove it. I, I'm, um, I don't want to go from one fundamentalism to another and say that I'm right. certain about anything else, anything different, but I just, I'm just not sure. I just don't, I don't know. And it's at least not evidence of anything to me anymore because statistically maybe things just occur like that sometimes. Right. And, and like you said, you know, it's like conclusion bias. Like you, when you're looking for it, sometimes, or wish fulfillment's what you said, um, it can appear that way. And I just don't trust myself to perceive that correctly. And it's like, so if you take that piece out, it's like you, you wind up with fewer and fewer, and that's deconstruction. You, you wind up with fewer and fewer mm -hmm. things you can really look to and say, this is why I really know. And most Christians would even say, it's not about really knowing, it's about, it's about, it's not about having evidence. It's not about um, having, you know, a sound argument. But the stakes are high, like a savior lifted up above the ground. But then what is it? Is it, is it just, it's a, is it a gut instinct? Is it, I mean, I know people say it's the heart of stone being replaced with the heart of flesh. It's, you know, being made spiritually awake and, and coming to life. And, but, but like you said, I haven't found when I stand in one place intentionally or the other, that life feels materially different in right. either case. It's mm -hmm. just hard for me. I mean, does any of that ring true for you? Or like, what, what you know, is that, is that anything, does that have to do with kind of what you're talking about or? Absolutely. Uh, that definitely resonates because it is like, faith seems to be for a lot of people, the art of finding what they already expect to find. Oh um, man, that's, that's and really insightful. Yeah. Trying to get kind of beyond that place where again, it's like, so how much of this then, if you know, you're trying to get beyond that, how much of, you know, the past models of understanding the world are even in any way helpful, um, hmm. which I think, you know, is that's like affects every area of your life, but especially on kind of like this 
emotional level, which I think, you know, fingers crossed the album that's pretty much, you know, that soundtracks that emotionally more than anything. For me, it's kind of like the the soundtrack to this moment when you realize maybe help isn't coming. Right. Um, which is like a very, very, like it's a difficult emotion to even articulate to people who haven't been in a place where they've believed a certain way their entire life. Um, mm. And so then trying to figure out again how in like a practical application of how I am experiencing life daily, how does this impact it? Right. And what have you, as you've thought about that, or at least been willing to consider it as the truth, which is a fright, a terrifying thing to do. Um, as you've done that, what, what do you, what's on the other side of it for you or what do you suspect or have seen or hope? Uh, that's still really hard to say. You know, it's like when you're in the middle of the process where all you can see is kind of like pieces falling. Um, that's right. It's like I have like I have hope that there are certain elements that are going to like I'm going to find to be true on the other side. Like the idea at the very least that kindness and respect and love towards other human beings still matters. That's right. Um, that there's some something eternal about that concept, whatever form that concept takes. Um mm. That's, I, you know, that's, those are things that you can see resonate again in all belief systems, in all human experience, as opposed to this very, very narrow cross-section right. of it. And it feels like it's um, just self-evident in practice, too. Oh, like, totally. You, you, it's like, you know, uh, reaping what you sow is, is, it's, you know, like when you, if you treat people with kindness, then you receive kind. I mean, it's like, th- those, are, those are good things. It's funny, though, how when you really pull the thing up by the root, you know, the, the few pieces you have as you're reconstructing a grid through which to look at the world, it, it gets pretty simple, pretty fast, but the few things, you know, you, you know, and, yes. and that, that's how that seems to me is like coming back around to personal health and responsibility, uh, you know, um, being responsible for both the net, your negative potential and your, your potential for good. And, and, really taking the response like showing up and being responsible taking responsibility for people and for yourself and for the world and whatever um which is not out of harmony with christianity um you know so uh but but it just seems so underemphasized um it seems strangely like, enough yeah. yes letter. Derek, I'm so sorry for your pain. You deserved so much better. Everyone involved did. You had given so much of your life in service to a God that was supposed to never leave you or let you be led into temptation or delivered unto evil. You have your share, however that's supposed to play out in a deterministic backdrop, but if he is supposed to remember our frame, that we are dust that he is an advocate, that he works the willing and the doing, then something is deeply wrong. I share that frustration over somewhat similar matters, something I'll get to soon. The collapse is terrible. The shaking of those foundations breeds confusion and contempt. We were failed somehow. 
I'd like to share my story with you. My sister and I are children of eight marriages. Mom is about to marry number six. Dad is married to number three. Raised in the Episcopal Church, my sister recently married her third husband. My wife has managed to put up with me still, thankfully. School was hell. Being bullied from elementary school through high school, and even some in college. My junior year in high school, I was dating a girl who was kidnapped, stabbed, and raped. She survived, but badly hurt in every way. God had always seemed benevolent and kindly distant, but this event prompted hatred toward him from me. My girlfriend worked to find her suffering in God's plan and forgive her rapist. Not long after this, I was caught stealing supplements and charged with felony robbery. In jail is where I met Jesus. I begged for a second chance, reasoning that my chosen path of sex, drugs, theft, and alcohol excluded flawed thinking and living. Jesus granted my request, and the charge was reduced to a Class B misdemeanor, probation, community service, done. Jesus did me a solid, so I became a born-again evangelical. I broke up with my girlfriend, with whom all the sex was constantly had, even though she was an amazing person, because Jesus, more or less, told me in a dream that I needed to. Because the basic training I received said that sinful relationships don't get redeemed unless you're married. So there went that. A big selling point for Jesus was the fact that, despite my being ridiculously sexually active with multiple partners, never using protection, what the fuck was I thinking? I contracted no diseases or infections and no one ever became pregnant. All of those girls have children now, and I have two. That one still gives me a little pause when I consider divine intervention. I beat pretty much every odd ever, which is great for me, but not even worth mentioning in Holocaust theodicy discussions. As most freshly born-again evangelical teens in young life, I was floating. Sin bounced off me like bullets off Superman. I spent that first summer as a new Christian, traveling to Grand Cayman, Frontier Ranch Young Life Camp in Colorado, and the Grand Canyon. Jesus was everywhere, and nothing else mattered. Porn and masturbation were still issues, obviously. God seems not to be in any hurry to fix that shit for pretty much anyone. In college, it was just me and Jesus, which always works super well. I rediscovered sex, drugs, and alcohol, but it wasn't quite as fun. I fought hard, still communing daily with Jesus, and fucking up my testimony in the process. Subsisting on a steady diet of Christian apologetics, theology, and Philip Yancey, who I still think is great, I entered the philosophy program at Texas A&M. Things rolled along fine. I read Decision Making and The Will of God by Gary Friesen, my first foray into the world of learning to read the Bible as it is instead of reading shit into it. My world was rocked in a great way. All the silence from God about what to do in life? Not to worry. That kind of guidance is super rare. Use wisdom. Sweet. I was incredibly successful with not having sex in college, mainly because I couldn't really find anyone who would have sex with me. Therefore, porn. It was during college that my obsessive-compulsive disorder, attention deficit disorder, and major depressive disorder became much more noticeable, but I didn't know what any of that was at the time. It would be another seven years 
before I would learn about this stuff and begin management. I just knew lots of shit was really hard and often overly difficult. Weed seemed to help like it did in the old days, so I resumed mostly privately smoking weed to get through the nights. I felt sort of convicted by it, but when you're so anxious and depressed that everything is a struggle, you don't really care. I taught Bible study, no, I never did it high, and still fought like hell to reform all of me. Being intellectually focused, all I needed was foundationalism, apologetics, and strong exegesis, and I'd be fine. Enter contemporary continental philosophy, a class we were all urged by its professor to drop because we'd probably fail. I stayed, got a B, and had my world rocked again. This was postmodernism, which I of course knew, <laughs> secondhand, from all those nice apologists keeping me on the straight and narrow, and warning me of the dangers of marrying Jesus with the devil's relativistic philosophy. But what ensued was nothing like they said. I feared for my faith until I realized I hadn't been saved by philosophy and apologetics, so I could just absorb this stuff and keep moving. It worked pretty well. I met my wife in a Bible study I led. Jesus gave me a pair of those nice horse blinders, so I didn't notice she was female until after the school year ended, and I began taking seminary classes at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary my senior year. Meeting a woman so far out of my league seemed unfair during a time when I rarely shaved, had gained lots of weight, wore the same clothes all the time, and smelled like cigarettes. But it gave my weakish faith quite a boost. She was raised in Greenville, Texas by Southern Baptist parents. She was the salutatorian of her high school, then graduated from the Texas A&M Business School early, cum laude. She got the job she interned for right away and still works there, getting promotions and raises regularly. Yeah, most guys don't deserve their wives, but fuck, some Sumerian trickster god must have pulled a fast one on her. I didn't stay long at Southwestern Baptist Seminary because, holy shit, I was not that conservative. After landing at Dallas Seminary, New Testament Greek fused to my bones, and six years of it was barely enough. Obviously, incredulity toward meta-narratives combined with lots of Greek exegesis did not produce the product DTS had hoped for. Eternal conscious torment became laughably improbable to me. Inerrancy? Yeah, right. No women elders? Please. Classical dispensationalism? Are you fucking kidding me? These doubts were not the primary reason for my slowly dissolving faith. In fact, they barely registered against the backdrop of the greatest period of struggle in my life. Take a deep breath. Pour some bourbon. See, two years into my marriage, I was still struggling with porn and whatnot, never thinking anything beyond that were possible. My wife has a younger sister whom I had known at this point for nearly five years. She was cute, but I literally never gave her a second thought. Out of nowhere, I suddenly found her to be the most attractive person ever. There was no event. She didn't change anything. She's a pretty reserved person and was never very friendly with me at all. We spent zero time around each other. I don't think I even had her phone number. There was genuinely no good reason why she became to me what she did. Everything was the same until one day... It simply wasn't. There was no emotional connection. I didn't like her and want to be with her. I just couldn't stop thinking about how hot she was, etc. Well, for a guy whose family pastime is divorce, and who wants to be the one to snap that trend, this was terrifying. 
I had grown up with this obsessive compulsive disorder and major depressive disorder, so of course something like this would just break me. I immediately threw myself into counseling, told my closest friends, had accountability partners, talked to my pastor, you name it. I did what I was supposed to do by the goddamn books. Tear-streaked anguish, crying out to be released from the torment. No one understood. I hadn't done anything. I never touched her, flirted with her, made eyes at her, nothing. I started self-cutting, self-burning, self-beating. How could this happen? God was supposed to protect me. Help me, Lord. I don't want this. And you don't want this. I want to do what's right. And oh God, the panic. I'm seeing her this weekend. What do I do? I can't see her. I can't do it. Lord, help me. Silence. Nothing. Gut it out, motherfucker. This is the long haul, and you're getting shit for help. Derek, how's it going? Um, well, I've really been enjoying the podcast, so I feel like um, maybe maybe my uh, uh, some of what I'm going to say is going to feel cliche or like you've heard it a, no. a million times. But, not at all, not at all. Um, yeah, uh, well, not to go into too much detail, but obviously um, I have a similar background. Went to um, I, I grew up in a conservative fundamentalist church. In school, I went, went to school K through 12 in a Christian school. Yeah, um, that was fundamentalist, and you know, I've I've always been the questioning type and someone who is d- doesn't settle for easy answers and wants to ask the hard questions. Yes, and wants to ask why and and uh, and, and so I think I that that made me a bad fit in the fundamentalist uh. world to some extent, but also I was. I drew, I found myself drawn to the seeming certainty of that world. Absolutely. You know? um, right. Because there, there's something very intoxicating about that. Our bodies um, just naturally want it. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, um, you know, I, I, uh, I will say that, um, you know, my, your, your early solo albums were very formative for me. Um, and I, I not to be a fanboy at all, no. but, 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 I think that I was trying to figure out who I was, and you were one of the first Christian voices that I heard that wasn't um, uh, sort of a, a cloying, sort of sycophantic, you know, um, type type voice. Absolutely. And even, I, and honestly, I, I didn't love Caveman's Call, and, and yeah. partially partially because it, it, it felt that way still a little bit to me. Sure. And it and. Um, it was only when you sort of like I, I think the I see things upside down album was really um, 
where I started to be like, hey, so there, there's something going on here. And then obviously Mockingbird and and the Ringing Bell was great as well. But I I think that um, what what drew me to those albums uh, and was how you 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 were speaking to something that resonated deeply within me that I didn't find within the church at that time, which was mm. my own orientation toward justice and mm. toward wanting to see the world made right. Mm. And, um, and so that, I, I guess, thank you for that. But it, oh, it uh, I, I, I find myself returning to, to those messages and some of the, um, the, there was something else too, that, uh, where you had, had a significant impact. It's kind of funny, but, um, you were on some kind of a podcast in like 2008, if podcasts even existed. I know, right? Okay. Um, do, you, do you remember this? Like you were, you were in an interview with somebody. Um, I, I don't even remember what it was. But yeah. what I remember is sitting in my driveway and listening to it. And you made this very explicit, like very succinct argument for why Christians needed to go uh, study peace. Oh. And and to get involved in peace studies right. and to like you, like it was a very, it, it, it was an awesome argument. And that sort of started a journey for me as a Christian at the time hmm. where I went to, uh, I, I went to school and got a, a, a master's in peace and justice studies, oh, wow. um, which was great. I, I went to a Catholic school in San Diego, um, for that. I mean, it was, you know, Catholic in name, but really it's, it was right. just, you know, um, a, a normal school yeah. uh, that was infused with sort of the social justice teachings of the Catholic Church, wow. and um, anyway, I guess like so. So you've you've accompanied me and inspired me in a lot of different ways. Um, I think that around the time I was graduating from this program, which was like 2011, um, I found myself sort of in the throes of deconstruction um, yeah. and gotcha. trying trying to figure out what I was all about. Um, did and, anything in particular uh, cause that, or was it just kind of the the slow progression into like 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 what did it? Yeah. You know, was it the result of trauma, or was it just a thing that you just found that you were observing and reacting to along the way, kind of thing? I mean, there was definitely trauma along the way, and I'm 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 leaving out a lot no, of parts fine. of the story, that's obviously. Fine. But I'm just always yeah. curious, like what right. dislodges someone from certainty. So uh, that's a great question, and for me, I would say that it started for me. Deconstruction for me started uh, early, um, and I, I think deconstruction was a long event for me, uh, like over many, many years. And it started with me pushing back and struggling with what I would term like broadly social and science issues, um, yeah. where I started to chip away at like creationism and climate change and um, just anti-science, anti-feminism, gender roles, racism. Yeah. You know, anti-LGBT, purity culture, like all, all like oh, you know, yeah. worship of patriotism and free market capitalism, <laughs> yes, and war. Man. You know, speaking like my language, all, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so all that stuff, those aren't bedrock theological issues, obviously, but those were so married to the theological well, but, issues and in that they couldn't be. They yeah. are culturally so heavy, and they speak yes. so much to its maybe its veracity, but at least its relevance. Right. You know, a exactly, and so. I found that those issues, because I because I do have on a personal level such a peace and justice orientation, yes, that I, do too. I I could not I could not in good faith um, adhere to the party line on those things. Mm. Um, but I found myself still 
trying to figure out how to have a coherent system of belief while taking a different position on those things. And then eventually that led to me questioning the underlying theological belief right. system, yep. right? And so then I was like... matter enough to where you're like, okay, I've, I'm determining that for myself and what rings true to me, there are some things that yes. are seeming non-negotiable to me and now everything else has to shift around these things. Right. And now I have to reevaluate it in light yeah, so, of this new information, you know, like, right, right. And so, and so then I'm, I'm pressing into like inerrancy of scripture and yeah. is there only one way to God? And you know, who, who was Jesus and, and why does this story matter? And, and why, and how could a God, uh, create a hell, you know, yeah. um, and send people there. And so, and so I was grappling with those questions, um, while trying to maintain some self conception of like, I'm a Christian and I have some certainty about something and there is some coherent, uh, stance that I have theologically. And I think, um, eventually I, I remember there was this moment when I was in a bar actually with a couple of good friends of mine who, um, are, it were, were and are still what I would term progressive Christians, mm. good, good folks, like yes. not non-binary, healthy people, all that kind of stuff. And I remember I was just, I, I, I was such at my wits end that I was just like, but how can we know anything is true? Like yeah. I was, I just needed something. Like I was grasping. Uh-huh. I just, I needed. It's really good. And, and yeah, and they were both, it was funny because they were both like, yeah, right. Welcome to the world. Like uh-huh. that's, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Um, and so, but, but that was like, it was real suffering though. Like I was suffering yeah. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. and it was hard and I don't wish that on Because a lot's at stake. Like the answers yeah. to those kind of questions that you're asking, there's a lot at stake. My friends and I have been digging in the dirt so long. Looking for the bones buried in the ground. Right, right. So anyway, uh, I... You know, I, I I bounced through some some churches trying to find you know something that made sense for me. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was at the Mennonite church for a little bit, yep. Catholic church, Episcopal church was like my last gasp attempt. You know, yep. to try and, to make and, yeah, sense Anglican of something. Yeah, Anglican was my last. And uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think that um, what the way the way I conceptualize my own deconstruction is that all of those things I described previously, it was like I was chipping away at something that that's how I felt. Mm. And, and that when all the dust settled at the end of all that, I looked down and like, there was nothing left. It was just, Mm. it was like a blank slate, Mm. which was at at the same time. It was, it felt freeing, absolutely. but it, but it was also a source of existential despair. Absolutely. Yes. To both. Yes. Like at the same time, you know, I feel very much the same. I know exactly what you're talking about. A letter continued. For the next eight years, eight goddamn years, I would argue with voices in my head, days on end, that were persuading me to kill myself. That eight years overlaps two parts. One, the initial two years, up until we found out we were having a baby, and two, the six years afterward. I had my plan settled. I was going to go out late and drive off an overpass onto an empty road below. The voices told me this was the way to go out. I couldn't fuck up my life and then die. I had to do it now, 
while everyone still thought I was great, while it would be seen as an accident that took a life too soon. My wife could move on, I married way over my head anyway, and I'd finally be free from this sickness that God refused to take away. No shortage of voices to condemn, no shortage of voices to pin me down and tell me that I had ruined everything like I knew I would. Being deep in community, I still found the counter voices too weak, and those were always human voices anyway. The spirit, apparently, wasn't interested in giving me one fucking word of encouragement or support. With that in mind, I started building up the courage to do it. And one day, my wife told me she had missed her last two periods. We embraced while I read the pregnancy test results. Positive. Holy shit, there's a baby in there. Everything changed. I'm not ducking out now. Fuck the voices, fuck everything else. I had found my purpose. Maybe this was my answer to prayer. The stress from the situation with my wife's sister, lack of sleep from being a full-time youth pastor, full-time seminary student, and working full-time at Bluefish TV made my testosterone plummet. I eventually stopped everything except school, but the damage was done. My adrenal glands gave out due to high stress for extended periods of time. I would not know that this was the case for several years. In the meantime, as a questioning seminary graduate, there isn't much work. My wife continued to work while I stayed home with our baby son. Staying home with a baby when you literally have no energy is insanely taxing. I gave everything I could to be a good dad to him. What was left over, I gave to my wife the best I could. But being depressed over thinking about banging her sister created a distance I could not overcome without bravery I didn't have. Any prayers answered there? Of course not. Sensing a theme? I found a new counselor to work through issues with, the one who would eventually help me solve the puzzle of my sister-in-law and get me out of that mess. During those two years, we had two miscarriages. A few months before the second one, I watched a four-year-old boy from our neighborhood die at the neighborhood pool, praying over him while his dad held his screaming mom back. Two other couples from our church miscarried. Another family lost their 12-year-old son to a brain aneurysm. He was gone in less than 24 hours. A guy I knew from high school who had become a pastor in Arlington, Texas, legitimately great guy, was murdered at his church by some assholes who just wanted to rob him and go shopping. He left behind a pregnant wife. Like him and so many others, I had given God my time, money, energy, effort, love, devotion, hope, and mind. I was dead serious about conviction of sin and repentance. I had friends who were solid, devout guys telling me to take it back a notch because I hated myself for my sins. For two decades, I gave everything I had. God's response? A crippling addiction that nearly cost me my life and ruined my marriage. Two dead children. Three worthless degrees and student loans. Cacophonous shrieks from the dead crying out for justice and peace. My Calvinism didn't seem to be working out so well after my Baptist theology didn't work out so well. Maybe I'm not saved after all. Had I been let go of? Was I not chosen? Perhaps I could have carried those things were it not for the persistent, deafening, lonely silence. 
I couldn't do it anymore. Friends saw this coming, but they thought it due to my theological doubts and philosophical musings. I've never understood the unhelpful head knowledge versus heart knowledge dichotomy. How on earth could head knowledge about the love, mercy, generosity, kindness, provision, and sacrifice of the God of the universe not also immediately be a whole body response of gratitude and surrender? They were so very wrong. Theology can be manipulated. Exegesis and hermeneutics can change. I wanted to know where the hell my dad was. Right? We are his children. He gave his all but can't be bothered to let us know he's here? Where was God when I lusted after those poor girls? Right there with you. Where was God when my babies died? Right there with you. Here's the problem. He isn't telling me that. People are. I don't want the mediated message anymore. I want to know that he's real. I tell my friends it's like this. Imagine you grow up never meeting your dad. You see gifts with that name on them. You have friends and family, not all of them, mind you, that talk about him, that tell you he loves you so much. 20 years of this. You're given a phone number where you can leave him messages, but calls are never returned. You're reassured that he gets them, is grateful you call, and even pays for your bill. Of course, the people reassuring you also only get to leave voicemails that never get returned. Or some of them say he has returned their call or texted them, but they never can show that this is the case. Anyone, anyone in their properly functioning mind would not last 20 years before they started to think something was amok. And that's not even considering the promises made that this dad would protect and comfort us. I'm not asking for a Mercedes nor a million dollars. I don't want proof so I can decide whether or not Christianity is true, although that would certainly help. All I want is to know that the person everyone says loves me is really there. It's precisely what Job wanted and precisely what Job got. He wanted to know that God is who he thought he was. Take all I have in my family? Wow, yikes. But if you're you, then I know I can handle it. I'll know it wasn't a fluke. I'll know that somehow it will work out. Silence? Well, then he'll just have to keep remembering that we are dust and not mind if I can't fucking do this anymore. My wife still believes. She's concerned about where I am. We take our kids each week to a PCA church. Both of them are baptized. Against all odds, I I still try. I still ask for hope. I still pray over my kids occasionally because it makes me physically sick to think that my problems could end up on their shoulders. Perhaps I should reconsider a few things. I did eventually get over my sister-in-law. We did eventually have another child. But I'm not the only one. How can I count my blessings while so much of the rest of the world burns, forgotten by the one we are told loved them so much he became killable? There aren't many of us who can stare into such an abyss, knowing all at once the range of potential consequences, the mental anguish buzzing and drilling into the depth of every thought and movement. Retreating into theologies with less problems may take away the initial sting, 
only to become a festering wound demanding ointment and bandages in perpetuity. I'm closing this while chasing empty mangers cuts through the late night silence of my family asleep downstairs. My heart hurts so fucking badly for you, Derek. Please let me know if I can help in any way. I hope you find good community in whatever setting to really walk with you and help you bear the pain. I hope it's all a dream. Thank you so, so much for listening and for doing this project. You took the time to hear from so many people you don't know, to make yourself available. That is incredibly selfless and helpful. Thank you. With every bit of warmth and love. I know how much time, but I, I just wanted to ask you, because I, I, I kind of wanted to ask you the same question just really quickly, because what I haven't heard you share, and again, like, I know it's your story, and if you don't feel like you want to share it, like, don't share it, no. you know, you've, you, you've already shared so much, but I'm curious, like, what for you kicked off and also sort of accelerated your own deconstruction? Uh, like, what, right. was it theological issues? Was it, like, um, the, 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 the sort of marital stuff? Was it something else? Right. No, those are great questions. And, and, and it, to, it, for me feels like I didn't realize this until much later, but what I eventually came to realize was a lot of, I had a lot of nagging. Um, I feel like I was keeping pretty long receipts when it comes to my not being able to square or feeling some exhaustion from trying to square mm. things that I was just observing yeah. and just intuiting and feeling um, and knew to be true with what was supposed to be true about mm. my system of belief. And, and I was having a harder and harder, like, in other words, b- being an apologist for it was getting trickier and trickier. Mm. And I feel like there was kind of a building, like a bottlenecked momentum of that. But I didn't realize that till much later and um, how hard that was becoming. But mm. and so for me, though, it it did have the fuse was lit with my divorce and yeah, and yeah. it and and really it, it wasn't about my grief over that although that it de- that definitely did bear on it pretty pretty heavily but but it was more just in terms of my the mm. months and the years that I spent pleading with my yeah. my the ceiling in my shower essentially yeah to show up and be real and do something and do anything. And, mm. and it's like, you can, you can only stay on a call for so long when you feel like there's no one on the other end. And, yeah. um, I just, there's no way, it's no way to live. Like I couldn't keep doing it. It was too painful for mm. me. And I was like, okay, well then I really don't have any, I shouldn't have any fear about this. I shouldn't, right. Right. I shouldn't. And, and so I, I did, and I followed the same coordinates that took me into great seasons of spiritual growth were the hmm. same exact coordinates and curiosities that had me pulling the thing up by the roots to really examine it, and then eventually finding that um, it it uh, it didn't belong in the ground anymore. Hmm. And um, and it, so it was some of that, you know, and and uh, and all those other specifics certainly contribute and are fuel on it. But that's I feel like how I got there. So yeah, it's interesting. Wow. I, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And one one thing that I I think it's so interesting how these systems of faith separate us from the truth that we can intuit in our body, like it, that that right. we know to be true. The the justice that is like embedded within us, the right. the knowledge that we have that 
is rejected and that we have to then reject parts of ourselves. That's right. You know? I think for me, you know, there's, there's a, a great, you know, there's still a great journey of reconstruction and, and continual evolution and integration and all of that. I mean, you know, there's, there's no point of arrival, right? But right. It, it does, it does seem like the reconnection with the body and becoming coming to trust your own intuition That's and right. your own your own sense of the world around you and i feel like i feel like you've always been a good example of that because you've always said like hey my job is to look, look at around the world and describe it yeah exactly and 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 tell you what i see and i feel like you've always faithfully done that mm. uh even when it's taken you far afield from where people may expect you to go or where i expected to go for god's sake <laughs> anyway I, I feel like i've taken up more than my no man i feel like here, we could talk all day and i wish yeah. we could um, <laughs> yeah but anyway i i just I, I really appreciate that thank you for sharing more about your own your own absolutely. story there absolutely yeah. man i hope we can talk again sometime it's been a real pleasure yeah absolutely thanks derek all right we'll see you okay bye Daddy left We never even saw his face Thanks for listening To add your voice, lend your support, and meet our team Visit theairingofgrief.com We are a community-backed project Please consider joining our faithful supporters to help us keep the conversation going. You can learn more at theairingofgrief.com by clicking Become a Patron. And we'll see you after church next Sunday for The Airing of Grief.